0: it's a pleasure to be with you here again this morning and it's been a busy week for me as I've was counting today I taught 14 different lessons so this will be the 14th one within a a week's time so I'm just ramping up for right now I guess (laughs) practice makes perfect um in some ways I'm very covetous of of and that's not a good thing we Explored that in the Ten Commandments of uh, what Phil does, because he knows where his next text is in the Scripture. It's where he left off the week before. And, and I don't have that uh, comfort, if you will, and just struggling with the text to, to bring you guys. And I, I do believe this is by the providence of God that he forced me to land in the Gospel of John. So I invite you to take God's Word and open up the John Chapter 2. Title of this message this morning is Truly, Truly, You Must Be Born Again. And I better get there myself because I don't have the text memorized. I want to read the whole thing. We'll start in John chapter 2 and in verse 23 and go to chapter 3, verse 8. The word of the Lord reads, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But, Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he knew, he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you, you must be born again. The you know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these words. In some ways, they are so plain and clear. We have heard them so many times. It's a familiar text to us. And yet, Lord, I, I, I do believe there's, there's deeper truths in here that you desire for us to, to hear, to obey, to, to know. Help us with that, Lord. Help us to see your kingdom. Help us to have surrendered hearts that beat in unison with yours. Father, there's a great work to be done in in just me, let alone everyone here. We are not the people that you have called us to be. Yet, Lord, I thank you for your spirit, which is um, that will finish the work that you have started help those that need to be brought low to be brought low by your spirit and encourage those who are who are weak, need and faint to live a spirit-filled life for your honor and your glory. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Look at the introduction and that's I guess my first point. It starts out with verse 23 in John chapter 2. And not too many, when reading through this, see the connection. Remember, in the Bible, when John originally wrote this as a manuscript, there were no chapter divisions. There were no verses. It was just one long letter. And there's two types of births. There's two types of beliefs that are put forth here by John. There's the man-centered belief, which is based upon works, based upon what I can do. And then there is the birth, the belief, that comes from God alone, that transforms the life of the true believer of God. This should not surprise us. Jesus uses this tactic many times. There is the broad road that leads to destruction and many are on it and then yet there's the narrow road that leads to life and it is so narrow and so few find it. There is the house that's built upon the sand and there is the house that is built upon the rock. He puts forth for us first this man Nicodemus and it's interesting to note that he says there was a man This leads us back to what is said in verse 25 of the previous chapter, the last verse. Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew what was in man. These people were coming up to Jesus after seeing all the miracles and everything that Jesus had performed, and they were crying out, oh, I want to spend time with Jesus, this is amazing. This is a man of God. This is a great prophet. Yet Jesus has x-rays vision down to the soul. He can see what is in the heart of man. And even though they were coming to Jesus, Jesus wasn't coming to them. He wanted them by his very uh, picture of him not entrusting himself to them to, to get the idea, you are not Okay. We have no relationship. You might be blown away with the, with the miracles that are going on. But your faith is so shallow. It is like the shallow soil, the rocky soil that is pictured in the parable of the four soils. Yes, the seed did sprout out and grow. But as soon as the hot sun scorched that young plant it had no roots and it withered up and died their faith was temporary I would imagine some of these people who tried to entrust themselves to Jesus that when they saw the signs and were blown away with Jesus might have been some of the same people who cried out give us Barabbas crucify this man we will not have him to be our king What do we learn about Nicodemus? Oh, well, it was this man. So good on the outside, yet so needed on the inside of, of real grace. It says he was a, a man of the Pharisees. These are ones who are called to be set apart by God. They were the Bible believing, Bible thumpers of the day. They were the conservative, if you will, evangelicals. They were the ones who really took the Bible seriously. There was about 6,000 of them in the time of Israel. These were the religious elite. These are the ones that took holiness seriously... And they saw the wickedness and evilness in the world around them. And they knew it was not right. They knew it didn't conform to what God said. And they willingly set themselves apart to try to glorify God. This Nicodemus was one of them men. And what I'm trying to do here in this picture is point out, and I think this is even what John is doing by even putting this in here, you cannot get a greater man than Nicodemus trying to earn salvation. He is it. He is the perfect man. If anyone could get saved by themselves, it would be this man Nicodemus. He had it all. Serious about holiness. Serious about God. Studying the scriptures day and night. And in fact, in verse 2, he says he came to Jesus at night. Why? I think so much of his day was spent in studying and being a teacher. Later on in this chapter, he's called the teacher of Israel. Definite article, the. Not a teacher. If you wanted to know a religious truth, go to Nicodemus. If you wanted to know the Old Testament, go to that man. If you were going to get into a religious uh, argument with somebody... Quote Nicodemus to support your answer, and that would probably just end it. This man was so well-respected. And think of even his name, Nicodemus. This is his name is not Jewish. It's actually Greek. Now, I believe he was a Jewish man to be a Pharisee, but here's the point. A lot of times, parents in that time would name, if you were well-off, your son, a Greek name to give him every advantage. His name literally means one who dominates others. And he was set out, and that was his course of life, to dominate, to be the very best, to exceed everybody. It wasn't enough to be average to Nicodemus. He had to be the best. He had to dominate everything. He was also a ruler of the Jews, according to verse 1. Meaning he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was one who was of the the top 70 in Israel. The religious elite. The ones who settled spiritual matters. He was in the end club. You couldn't get any higher than this man. And he comes and he thinks that he has some great insight. And he comes to Jesus, teacher, rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Huge compliment. He saw the truth there. We know you're a prophet. You came from God. Why? No one can do these miracles, these signs that you do unless God is with them. He had a correct theology even in some ways concerning Jesus. Jesus is a prophet. He's the one who speaks for God. Yet he had it so wrong. He believed Jesus to be a teacher came from God when in reality, he is God who came to teach. That is the man. That is Nicodemus. He had it all going on. If you could, uh, you could not exceed him in religion and in morality, he was it. And Jesus answers even though Nicodemus does not even ask a question. First point that I want to get out of this is that being born again is a serious birth. It is a serious birth. Jesus answered him truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. First of all, just the words denote the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. He says, and he starts off this sentence, amen, amen. This is truth. Listen up. Pay attention. This is important. Everything in the Bible is true and important, but there's some things that are more important than others. You think I'm a prophet? Let me tell you something that's really important, Nicodemus. You think you're all right with God? Let me tell you something that's even more important than that, than your false belief. Truly, truly, look at the authority of Jesus. I say to you, you're already called me a prophet. Now I'm speaking on behalf of God. Why, he is God. I'm saying this to you, and Jesus uses his authority to give this announcement. Unless one is born again, he cannot, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, as a teacher, there is something that us teachers love to do. A kid asks to go to the bathroom. And they always say, hey, can I go to the bathroom? And every teacher says, I don't know, can you? May I go to the bathroom? (laughs) No. (laughs) Cannot. shows inability. He cannot do it. He's unable to do it by himself, by his religion, by anything. And I don't even think this is even talking about salvation here. A lot of us read it that way. He does not say you cannot enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God of heaven that comes later with this next truly truly statement he says you cannot even see it you can't even see it you can't see your need of it you can't see the kingdom itself you can't see the king of the kingdom unless you are born again you will have no idea of your need you cannot even comprehend it And this makes sense to us who are Bible believers who have been born again. It makes perfect sense since the things of God are spiritually discerned and are foolishness to the natural man, as it says in Corinthians. You cannot even see it, Nicodemus. You are striving so hard in a direction and you can't even see where you're going. You think you are going to the kingdom? You're going to the king's wrath. It's a serious birth. My friends, unless you are born again, You might make some sense out of what is said, but it won't impact your life. Your eyes of faith will not be open, and you cannot see the King in glory. Secondly, it's a sanitizing birth, it's a serious birth. Secondly, I want you to see from the text, it's a sanitizing birth, a cleansing birth, if you will. Let's pick up in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. We'll just stop right there. Now, there's been a great um, confusion out as what is going on here with Nicodemus. And really, <laughs> I think it's extremely simple when you get right down to it. It's so bad that people think that Nicodemus, this incredibly intelligent man, really is believing that Jesus is saying can I crawl in, I need to go back into side, my mother's womb. He's just picking up on the metaphor. He's picking up on the illustration and he's running with it. That's all he's doing. He understands perfectly what Jesus is saying. He is just, he can't see it. He can't See how it's true. All of his teaching, all of his learning, everything in the scripture that he is believing on is antithetical to what Jesus is saying. He understands it. He's just not willing to believe it. He can't see the truth of it. You mean I Have to basically say that everything I have studied, everything I believe in is absolutely wrong at the very core, at the very foundation, and start over again? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Here's this man, he's just too proud. No, surely I don't have to start again. Like a baby in the faith. And so Jesus goes on with his response. I say you... You need to listen to this. It is the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, the last one is born of water. And there's even a lot of confusion on to what that means. Some think it's speaking about just a physical birth. And I think that's unnecessary. Like the, before, pre, uh, before delivery, the water breaks. Ah, that's, come on, that's so simple. Well, to be saved, you first need to be born. Jesus knows this man. He knows he's not that simple. He's not a simpleton. Some think it's baptism. And yet, when you research it out from the full counsel of God, baptism does not save a single person, or it would be a salvation based upon works. When it speaks of water, I think it's speaking of one thing. He, he's going to go over two elements of the Holy Spirit as, as he is producing this new birth or two effects of it. The first one he's going to use here is water. The second one he's going to use is wind. Water, and, and think about it, this man is the teacher of Israel. He knows the Old Testament well. And so when Jesus uses the word water, this is what would pop into his mind. Let's turn back to Ezekiel. We were there earlier. Ezekiel is an amazing book and also a very complex and hard book at the same time. And in chapter 36 is where we'll be picking up. We read chapter 37 because it flows out of 36, and I think that's the effects of the new birth upon the nation of Israel as they will have this new heart and new mind, and God will bring his people out of death and into life. And you know what? That's a very good picture of what happens to any person when they're born again. You are a totally new person. You were dead in your sins. And, And think about what Ezekiel said. God asked Ezekiel, Can these bones live? Uh, 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 you know, Lord. That's a good answer. <laughs> if you will it, yes. If you don't, no. You know. Prophesy. Speak my words to him. These life giving words. And they lived because it was God's will. The new birth in the Old Testament, I think, comes, it it precedes that. It precedes the Valley of the Dry Bones. In Ezekiel chapter 36, look in verse 24. He says to the nation of Israel, I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, a lot of times we think that has already been fulfilled. And yet the remainder of this will show us that it has not yet happened, but it will. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit to put within you and i will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules This is a sanitizing birth. When Jesus uses the word water, he is speaking of this being born again to have a new heart where God literally performs open heart surgery, in a sense, on us spiritually, and takes out a heart that is bent on sin and self and our own destruction, places in us a new heart. And we need God for that. You cannot perform open heart surgery on yourself. Please don't try it. You will die. You need someone else. You need one who is aware and how to do that. You need a doctor. Well, in a spiritual sense, we need God totally for this. Why? We need to be cleansed. We need to be able to see this the kingdom of God because our minds are so fogged up with everything else in this world that seeks to take our attention off of God oh my goodness where's the time going thanks for that Phil clock. <laughs> I want to get to my third point let's go back to John it's a serious birth it's a sanitizing birth Third, it's a spirit-initiated birth. It's a monergistic birth. Truly, truly, Jesus says in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus secondly relates the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the new birth to wind. We don't know where the wind goes. We don't know where it comes from. We can't control the wind. We can't direct the wind. Even the best meteorologists are wrong about the wind. Yeah, honestly, we can stop and we can see the trees blowing and we know that there is a wind even though it's invisible. We can feel it against our faces. So it is with the spirit. How awful is it that we think we can control God and that we're in charge and that we think we can make people or even ourselves be born again. And even why I even thought about choosing this and why it even came to mind is, is this. I think that this is a, a misunderstanding in the new birth. Has really divided the church, and you have different uh, areas of theological thought where if we would come together on this one doctrine, a lot would be settled on both sides. Some people take it too far in this extreme, and they don't preach, hey, a man has the responsibility to repent and believe, and that's wrong. We should beg sinners. And then on the others, and so they make salvation too hard. The other side makes it too easy. Notice here, the wind, you can't control it. And with God, you can't control his working. We can just see the effects of it just like the wind we can see the changed life look at i can know when a child is born cuz all of a sudden there's a child it's pretty simple it doesn't take a genius to see that what's more powerful a physical birth or a birth by god himself shouldn't the evidence be more overwhelming more definitive I could say a whole bunch more on that. But I want to use the 14 minutes I have left (laughs) to talk about this. How do I know I'm born again? This is what I came up with this morning. How do I know I'm born again? What's the effects of the second birth? I can answer it in one word. Faith. Faith. Let's make it very simple. Faith. Do you only trust in Jesus? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to look over three aspects of faith. The solution of faith, the specimens of faith, and the supremacy of faith from the book of Hebrews. First of all, the solution of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Here's the solution, the answer. What is faith? Here it is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. There it is. In God's word, he gives two aspects of what really is faith. It is, first of all, the assurance of things hoped for, and secondly, the conviction of things not seen. First of all, think about insurance. The Greek word has the same root as what we would get the word foundation on. Foundation. That assurance is a foundation. You think about this building. If someone set it on fire, it would burn all the way down, but what would be left? Foundation. is your hope in Christ the foundation when everything else in your life is stripped away when you're going through, through the, the valley of darkness that Christ really is your foundation when everything else is stripped out of your life it does Christ remain secondly it's a conviction of things not seen It's a conviction, a passion, a a flat-out, you know this. If someone tells you something differently, you'll say, no, 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 blasphemy, no, wrong, no. It is such a deep conviction that you would rather die than for that not to be true. And it's things not seen, eternal things, spiritual things, Things, he actually gives an example. Think about verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I know we have some people that are old. Too bad Bruce is in here, but even he's not old enough to see the foundation of the world. Taken shot at the man when he's not even around. Oh. My goodness! <laughs> None of us have seen God, but is He our conviction? Above all. That's faith. Complete foundation is Christ. Our conviction is Christ. Really, literally, Christ is our all in all. The specimens of faith, secondly. We're going to look at the illustrations that we see here in this chapter. And here's the bad thing. I want to put this up close. I hate what people do with this chapter. They call it, hey, it's the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's the heroes of the faith. Guess what? No. This is the normal Christians. The normal believers. That's it. I'll get to the one who's in the Hall of Fame. He's in chapter 12. The only truly faithful one. And this comes up because we think there's two different kinds of Christians. Well, here is the super religious so-and-so Christian like Paul. And then here's me. No. Um, If you're born again and God's spirit is within you, then you have the power of God that can transform your life. Specimens of faith. I want to go over five things very, very, very quickly. Let's look at this chapter. Specimens of faith, what do we see? What should be the evidence that we are born again? First of all, one, we should absolutely live by God's word. That's what we see here. That's the common thread. We should absolutely live by God's word. Verse 7 in this chapter, Noah, by faith, Noah, being warned by God. Being warned by God. Concerning events still yet as unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Hey, Noah, you're in this dry place and it hasn't rained. And yet God comes to him and says, build an ark. I'm going to flood this place. You can't relocate. Well, God said it. It's true. Okay. Okay. Abraham Abraham look at verse 8 By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called Who called him God When he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an in inheritance And he went out Sarah verse 11 By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age since she considered him, God, faithful. And what did God do? He promised. It was his word, his promise. Abraham, he believed God's promise in verses 17 through 19. I will make you a great nation through this one through your seed, through Isaac. And so it says in verse 19 that he thought, even though God commanded him to go and sacrifice Isaac, God will not break his word. Even if I go through this, God will raise Isaac from the dead. Joseph, verse 22, he believed God's covenant that this land would belong to the Jewish people. And so even though he couldn't be buried in the promised land, he left because he believed God's promise. He left the instruction, when you finally are freed from here, take my bones and bury it there, because I believe that. How do I know I'm born again? How do you know you're born again? Do you absolutely live by God's word? Do you truly believe it is the word of God or just a bunch of suggestions? Secondly, we need to be absorbed with the reality of heaven. That's another evidence. Absorbed with the reality of heaven. Look at verses 9 and 10. Speaking of Abraham, it says, By faith he went out to live. In the land of promise. As in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations. And whose designer and builder was God. I promise you all this land Abraham. He never received any of it. Just a little parcel to bury his wife. And he was glad to live in tents, even though that man was a rich man. Because he was not caught up in the things of this world. He was looking to the world to come. Whose foundations, whose architect is God alone. Verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return to that land. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were not caught up with the here and now. An example, I'll throw this out there for Aaron. Since he made a Pilgrim's Progress reference at chapel. Think of Christian and faithful going through Vanity Fair all of the things of the world to distract them, things people so pursue. Christian and faithful, it says, that they put their hands over their ears. They looked up to heaven because that was their home. And even the best that the world could throw at those two, they did not deter. Are we absorbed with the reality of heaven? Is heaven truly our home? Or is this our home? heaven is eternal, this world must be judged because it is under the curse and condemnation of God. Very quickly, third point, abstaining from sin. Abstaining from sin is a a true mark of those who are born again. Verse 24 and 25 of the chapter, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses' habit was not to run to sin, but to run from sin. Notice that sin's pleasure is passing, but God's wrath isn't. And there's a seriousness since heaven is their home. They do not want to do things that would dishonor the name of the king. They said even these momentary passing pleasures are nothing. And and guess what? We who are born again, we understand that because here's the passing thing with it. It's passing temptation. Be encouraged, believers. Fight the fight. There will be a rest. It's passing. Keep your eyes on heaven where Christ is seated. D, fourth point. Attracted to Christ so as to endure sufferings. Notice Moses, again, picking up on those verses. He chose to be mistreated. He considered, according to verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Verses 36 through 38, look at that. Start halfway in verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, others so that it may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world is not worthy. Wandering in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves on the earth. What would cause a man to do that? Being so attracted to Christ. As Paul would say, oh, I desire to even share in the sufferings of Christ. So that I have the hope of attaining a better resurrection to be like Christ in all things. If we're a Christian or little ones who follow Christ, Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There's not anybody who suffered worse. Lastly, I think a, a fifth point is there's an amazement for the Christian, an amazement that God gives by living, by looking at our lives and seeing a radical and exciting life. What I mean by radical is, you know, we would do what the natural man would never do. What I mean by exciting is, we see God doing the impossible in our lives. Verses 29 through 35. I love this. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry ground. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish when those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more should I say? For their time would not... Fail me to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to uh, flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. What's your story? There is a radical life where where there are some things that that daily just surprise myself, and that's not me. I see God working in my life. I mean, honestly, and I'm sure Aaron could say this, why in the world would I become a junior high teacher? Yet I've seen God work in miraculous ways. That can only be attributed to him. I'm a poor speaker, and why am I up here? I don't have a good mind. I just love the Bible, and that's about it. Lastly, you want to know who's in the Hall of Fame of Faith? Look at chapter 12, The Supremacy of Faith. This is who we're actually to imitate. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us. Here it is, verse 2, chapter 12 of Hebrews. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, And how did Jesus show his faith to the Father, his trust in the Father? It says, this Jesus who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. None of us have arrived. That is our one we are to model ourselves after. None of us has resisted, as has a little bit later on, in our struggle against sin, to the point of shedding our own blood. Christ truly must be all in all wrap it up the conclusion you must be born again truly truly I say to you Christ says to you you must be born again question is have you if you can truly say and this is not to please me or your parents or anyone else in this congregation yes praise God Praise God for your new birth. Live in the practice what you are positionally. Praise God because he did it. How much did you have to do with your physical birth? You were totally passive. How much do you have to do with your spiritual birth? God did it all. I'll worship him for that. Have you been born again? What if you answer no? This sounds weird because I just said it's all of God. Ask him. Plead with him. Beg him. Do not sleep. Do not give any rest to this endeavor until God changes you. Use the means of grace. Be in your Bible. Pray to him until God so radically transforms your life. That you are no longer a hypocrite, but one who passionately loves God. And he will be your foundation. And your assurance in heaven will be given to you by the Comforter, our pledge, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Give us ears to hear causing us, Lord, to see your kingdom, to see you as the prize, our great reward. Lord, even I thank you for, uh, I don't know, the words of Charles Wesley come to mind. You, Jesus, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Thank you for that. We lift up our minds and our hearts and our voices, Lord. Thank you. Amen. This is the time where we stop and we reflect upon what Jesus did. It was costly for him to purchase the people. It cost him his life, his blood. You know what it cost him? His throne. He left heaven and became a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And what we do we, as we take the bread and we take the juice, just as Christ today is exalted and God has given him the name above all names, the name Lord. We can do that in our hearts, in our affections, in gratitude to him now. Think about the things that have been preached today. Think about his word. Think about how he has worked in your life and be thankful. And if there is sin that you must deal with, deal with it. I beg you. Um, The elements are on the side. Um, Please enjoy.